This is Bill McLive, iHeartRadio's talk for the Space Coast. With today's Common Sense on Common Radio. Here's Bill Mick. Glad you're with us as we enter hour three of a Tuesday morning on this 19th of April, 2022. The West Cocoa Pharmacy making our hour possible. One of my favorite days of the week, by the way, and one of the favorite hours of the week, as uh, Dave Bowman joins us from Silverdale, Washington, from uh, thedavebowmanshow.com. It is Dave Does History on Tuesdays on Bill McLive. We've got a new communication method in place, so we're going to have to play with this for a little bit as we get it started. But Dave, good morning. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, good morning, Bill. How are you today? Very well. Hey, it sounds better. We're not getting the echo, so we're okay. And just for your notes, we started eight seconds later than I told you, so that's the discrepancy that you noted in the time. Dave, it is a uh, a day that uh, is integral for the U.S., and you're going to give us that look at this history. By the way, if you want in with Dave as we get to questions and commentary later, it's 321-768-1240. Where are we going today in the uh, in our own Wayback Machine, Dave? You know, Bill, one of the questions I get asked... Wes, and you're going to give us that look at this history. By the way, if you want in with Dave as we get to questions and commentary later, it's 321-768-1240. Where are we going today in, the, uh, in our own Wayback Machine, Dave? You know, Bill, one of the questions I get asked all the time is, okay, as a historian, what what parts of history do you really love? What What is it that fascinates you? And I... The truth is there's a lot of it that does. Um, the Egyptian, the 18th dynasty is is absolutely in, enthralling to me. The politics of World War One is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Supreme Court rulings. Today also happens to be the anniversary of one of the most significant Supreme Court rulings, but we don't have time to get into that. Um, but really above them all is American history from, 18, or from 1763 to the election of 1804, the transition from colonial to constitutional. And it's really this day, April 19th, 1775. I'm going to say something that sounds weird, but follow along with me, and maybe by the end of all this, it'll make sense to you. This is the day, April 19th, 1775, that the American Revolution ended. Okay, we're told that's when it started, Dave. Come on. You always have a twist to this. I know know that's what we're told because of what happened today in the the but the reality is and it, it's not even my idea that's the amazing part of this, this isn't something i came up with um sure sounds like the, it. the revolution ended the revolution had a long path to get to where we went starting in 1763 you had the royal proclamation where the king king george told the colonials Hitherto shalt thou come and no further. In other words, you're not going any further west. You're staying right where you are. Now, the colonials had this idea. That's that like telling us to wear a mask on an airplane, right? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> we we had this idea that we were going all the way to the Pacific Coast, mm-hmm. uh, but but the king, with with much bigger issues on his mind, France and Spain specifically, said no. You're not going any further west than basically uh, the Appalachian Mountains. Well, you can see where that would cause colonials to kind of go, wait, um, at, at that point, Virginia claimed everything west of Virginia, including West Virginia, all the way to the Mississippi River. Same with Alabama or same with Georgia, same with North and South Carolina, 
it was uh, they claimed a lot of territory, but the king kept telling them, no, you're not going to do that. Well, that was the first thing that really started irritating the colonials. And, you know, we went through this whole process from there. We had the Royal Proclamation. We had the Stamp Acts where people were told, you know, you had to buy stamps to affix to things. It was a tax. Um, and as things began really getting mm, pushy, right, we ended up with the the issues in Boston. We had the quartering acts where the king started putting soldiers in people's houses. They closed all the courts in Boston. They shut down the port of Boston. And they finally, in 1768, just occupied Boston. This militarily occupied Boston, the British did. This was followed by something called the Intolerable Acts. Uh, we're not going to go through all the details of this. but And then came this concept of taxation without representation, which was all built around the fact that the Parliament of Britain and the King of Britain wanted the Americans to pay their, quote-unquote, fair share, unquote. Where have we heard of, that? Yeah, of the French and Indian War. And maybe there was some room for negotiation on this, but the way the king handled it very very harshly, very meanly, very demandingly, made the colonials begin to feel that they were not being given the rights that they deserved as Englishmen. And so... Yeah, this was part of the empire, right? I mean, Britain Britain came over, they, they, they helped to civilize this new world, and yet they didn't want to hold up their end of making it... No, they didn't. And, and the problem was, of course, there started to generate these new thinkings in colonial thought about what is exactly our relationship with England. You could almost call this thinking, Bill, revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And that is really the genesis of the American Revolution through all these stresses and strains, including, by the way, something called the Boston Massacre. Which, we, again, we don't have time to get into, but uh, even John Adams. That's a great it, story. It's a fantastic story, and it should be instructive to us, but we don't, you know, we like the propaganda version. We don't like the, the whole story. Mm -hmm. And all this stuff leads to this thinking that by April 18th, 1775, has America, the colonials, just at a boiling point to the point where General Gage in Boston decides I got to do something and what I'm going to do is send 800 troops to Concord, Massachusetts to take their guns away from them. Mm, there's a repeating story here. Dave, we'll get to more of it in just 60 seconds as we consider this day starting or ending the revolution. That's an interesting question. We're back in a minute on Bill McLaw. From the beginning of Glenn Beck through the end of Sean Hannity, yes, through all of Glenn's show, through Clay Travis and Buck Sexton and through Sean Hannity, at five after each hour, a chance to win $1,000. A grant in your hand is back. You enter the keyword at WM mbam.com. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history on Bill Mick Live on these Tuesday 8 o'clock hours. Dave, so we're at uh, Concord now. The Brits have said, we're going to go take these guns. By the way, have you settled in your mind Lexington or Concord? Because they still fight over where the first skirmish happened. <laughs> yeah, we're not even there yet, but but it's it's Lexington. I mean, there's there's no two ways about that. Okay, so, just checking. You no, know, wants. It I, I saw both within the same day when I was a kid traveling up there with my parents, and it's like oh, these people don't know what happened. Yeah, 
it's only 10 miles of pot or so, so it's, it, 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 is, it is a pretty easy trip. And we're only talking about 18 miles total from Boston. Mm-hmm. There you go. So the night before, the day before, General Gage is, is tired of all this stress and strain, and he decides he's going to do something. He's going to go get the rebels, the colonials at that point, uh, cannons. They have a bunch of cannons and, and powder and stuff stored at the, the militia place in, in, in Concord. So he decides he's going to send somewhere between 700 and 800, it kind of depends on your source, troops. And these are, you got to understand, these are crack troops. These aren't just, you know, Hessian mercenaries. These are grenadiers who are highly trained, highly disciplined, very well armed uh, troops. And they're, they're accompanied by a group of light infantry, which is what the British learned fighting in America during the French and Indian War, the light troops, you know, the, the ones that wear camouflage and they just carry a gun and a few bullets and they run really fast and they're very smart and they're trained. And so these are really, really crack troops. They have specific orders. They're to go to Concord and destroy the military stores there. They're destroying them. They're not taking them. They're just going to burn them. And they have very specific rules. Absolutely no looting. You're not to do. You're not to be distracted by anything. Now, here's the thing about all this: is that the Colonials, Sam Adams, John Hancock, those guys, they already know all the details of this plan. They know everything about this plan except one thing. Can you guess what the one thing they don't know is? The time. One if by land, two if by sea. There you go. They don't know if they're going to take boats across to Charleston or if they're going to march across the neck. That's it. That's the only thing they don't know, because that actually hasn't been decided yet. So they've got a mole inside somewhere that's really good. They have a spy inside General Cage's headquarters, and it never seems to occur to the British that how do they know all this stuff? How do they know what's going on here? How do they know everything we know it's not like spying was new they've been doing spying since old testament times dave exactly now the british have spies too they know that they know that the stores are there they know that hancock and adams are out running around the countryside riling up people they even know basically where they are they're going to go they've got patrols out to try to catch them uh they're going to chase after paul revere uh, other folks this night but nobody seems to wonder in the british side Who's the spy? Who's telling the rebels all this stuff that's going on? Well, in a pretty amazing story, it turns out, you're not going to believe this, although maybe you will, I don't know. General Gage uh, himself, a very loyal British Army officer, I mean, he's very, very British. But when he came to America, he did what many soldiers do when they go to foreign lands. He fell in love with a local girl, and he married a colonial who happens to be very, very, very pro-patriot cause. We're going to call her Delilah for the moment, just because. Adams and Hancock, everything, because she's right there. I love it. And we'll get to more of that as we continue. Dave Bowman, Dave does history on Bill McLive. Interesting. Is it the beginning or the end of the revolution? We're told the beginning. Dave says, oh, no, it's the end. We get more when we continue on 92.7 FM WMMB. Stay with us. The time is 826. Dave Bowman. 
Coleman joins Bill for our weekly look at the past. We're kind of hoping to learn something new or at least have some fun, you know? It's Dave Does History on Bill McLive. As we return to the uh, Andrew Gillum theme song, Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. West Cocoa Pharmacy making this hour of the program possible. And at BillMick.com, on demand section, that little circle in the top left with the three lines in it. Click on that, click on demand, and you will see our link to Space Launch coverage that provided by our friends at SpaceLaunchSchedule.com. And that is the most accurate and up-to-date launch schedule that we have found. It also will link you to launches, not just on the Space Coast, but from around the globe. Let's get back to our uh, dive into history. It's something Dave likes those launches, too. Dave, glad you're with us. And uh, I got a call during the break that um, this audio new method we're trying is just fantastic, that you are studio quality audio. And I'm glad of that. Yeah, I am, too. It's uh, something that I wanted to do a long time ago, and we finally got it done, Bill. Finally got the capability. It, it, it took me getting the new computer because the other computer wouldn't support the application. It just wouldn't do it. Anyway, we've got ourselves up to things getting ready to happen at Concord and Lexington, but there's a spy in the mix, and she's married to the British general. Yeah, she's actually from New Jersey, Margaret. She's actually from New Jersey. You can never trust people from New Jersey. My friend Kurt Smith is from New Jersey, you know. There you go. Anyway, she's uh, she's feeding the Patriots' causes, everything she knows, with the exception of one if by land, two if by sea, because that literally isn't decided until the last second, and that's why they set the code, one lamp if by sea, two if, one if by land, two if by sea. As it turns out, they take boats across, so it's two lamps. It, you know, it's it's kind of a misnomer. It's not really by sea. They're just rowing across a couple hundred yards of the bay uh, to, to land at, at Charleston and start their march westward towards Yeah, the but two if by water just doesn't roll off the tongue as easily. Uh, it doesn't, and it doesn't sound as good in poetry. Exactly. Which is, we, is the worst form of English literature there is. I heard that on a podcast over the weekend, yeah. You did. Um, as the Brits start their march... They're, they're marching in the dark. They're marching at night, late at night, early in the morning. And they can hear the, the colonials in the woods. They can hear the buzz. They hear them following them. They hear them tracking along with them. And there's more and more of them, which is making the British troops, even though they're crack troops, kind of nervous. They're, they're kind of shaky and all this stuff. But as they head towards Lexington... I want to kind of shift gears for just a second. Some months ago, we had a caller who talked about, well, it was just two or three guys that did every three or four guys that did everything. We're about to run into a group of men who we know almost all of. We know their names, but most Americans don't know them at all. We know one of them, a guy by the name of Captain John Parker, because of what he's going to say in just a few hours. Captain John Parker is a is a Massachusetts colonial. He fought in the French and Indian Wars. He's he's a very distinguished soldier, and he's elected the captain of the Lexington militia by his troops because that's how you did it in those days. And he is dying of the consumption. He doesn't have long to live. But here he is with his men. They've been rousted out by Paul Revere's ride and the others who are riding warning people. He is uh, the man who is going to say... If, they're mean, if they mean to have a war, let it begin here. And he's going to say that just as the sun is coming up over Lexington. But there's two other guys here that I want to take note of. 
uh, there's a lot of guys here, but but two in particular of interest to me. One is a guy by the name of Isaac, and he is an older guy. He's probably about 18 or 19, and he has a younger brother named Ebenezer, and they are both there as part of the militia. Now, Isaac will go on to become a captain in the Continental Army. He will serve through the entire war. He's one of America's first really career officers that, that doesn't become a general. Um, he, he just serves with distinction and serves well, and he lives a great life. His younger brother is probably 13, maybe even 12, Ebenezer. Wow. He's not old enough to join the army, but he does serve in the militia. And during the Revolutionary War, he goes to law school and becomes a lawyer. And these two guys are typical of all the men that are there on that green this morning. They are nervous. They're not well trained, but they know why they're there because as another one, Captain John Preston will say, the British mean to take our freedom and we're not gonna let them do it. And here they stand at Lexington. As the dawn breaks, the troops march into Lexington and there's just confusion. The British see the troops lined up, the militia lined up, they don't know what to do. And they're not expecting them to be there, right? They're expecting little to no resistance. They're like Putin going into the Ukraine. Exactly. Okay. Militia's staring at them going, okay, now what? (laughs) Where we got them right where we want them, but what do we do now? And so there's this stare off. The British say to them, you need to disperse. The colonials basically say the the, the typical colonial stuff, which is, no, we're not going. And at some point. And your ship that will sink later, too. Yeah, I got you. Nobody knows who to this day. Nobody knows who. Nobody knows how. Nobody knows when. But there is a shot fired. And Do we even know from shot. which side? Nope. Nobody knows. Uh-huh. But we do know it's the shot heard round the world. Mm-hmm. And it's at that instant that the American Revolution ends. I want you to explain that when we continue in just a minute. I'll first remind everybody that the West Cocoa Pharmacy is bringing you this hour of Dave Does History on Bill McLive. And they've got a great cost-plus pricing program that helps save you big money. You know, insurance is expensive. Your copays end up being expensive. And West Cocoa Pharmacy teams up with other independent pharmacies to have low-cost buying power. They're doing more with their generic prescriptions without using insurance and copays they're saving you money and uh the copays are often higher than their cash pricing. They're asking us to feature a product each week. We are featuring Ideal Protein. If you've experienced weight gain through the Rona or, or other reasons, it could be your answer. And you can call the West Coco Pharmacy for details. It's 321-305-6909. This has been an excellent way to lose pounds and learn how food combinations, along with a product like this, equals weight loss and sustaining it. It's all from our friends at the West Coco Pharmacy. Online at CocoPharmacy.com or give them a call. It's 321-305-6909. Their job, providing you service with speed that you're not going to get from an internet pharmacy and the pricing that's going to save you money. Thanks to them for bringing you this hour of the program. Dave Bowman with us as Dave does history on Bill McLive. All right, Dave, where are we at now? The shot heard around the world has been fired. The shot has been fired. This, of course, immediately results in a volley fire from the British which kills Americans. Now they're Americans. They're no longer colonials. 
kills Americans, wounds Americans, and it actually disperses John Parker and his militia, the Lexington militia. They just run because they're not trained for this. These are grenadiers and light infantry. They're not, they don't have any training or skills or anything. So they literally just run. And the British do something that is just completely out of character. Normally, they follow orders, you know, rigorously, or as I like to say, vigorously. But this time they don't. They start chasing the the, the Americans. They start chasing. So they forget their initial objective? Bingo. Oh, man. More confusion. And it takes the the British officers, it takes them, the the two colonels, it takes them a long time to get everything reorganized, get everybody back in line. Don't do that. You don't need to chase a bunch of Americans out in the woods. That's just stupid. The, The militia there, the Lexington militia under Parker, is dispersed, and it takes the British time to get reorganized. But once they do, they've lost valuable time now. But they're ready to continue marching on to Concord, which is where the militia stores are. The problem is now everybody knows that there are dead Americans on Lexington Green, and everyone knows that the war has started. And we'll pick it up from there when we continue in just moments on Bill McLive, the day the revolution ended. We let you in at 321-768-1240. If you've got thoughts, questions, comments for Dave Bowman, win your way into the Vero Beach Air Show, the 30th and the 1st. The uh, Blue Angels are there, so that's going to be fun. Family four-pack of tickets. Keyword contest at BillMick.com. We're back in moments. Call Bill now. 321-768-1240. Dave does history in our final hour of a Tuesday morning on Bill Mick Live. It's brought to you by the West Cocoa Pharmacy. Don't forget, uh, in addition to your phone calls, you can also weigh in with our new talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. Let you edit the, the comment. You get 30 seconds when you push that microphone on the app. And uh, you can edit the comment. You can delete it, start it over, whatever you want to do. Then it'll uh, transmit it to us via website. I'll check up on those. And we may bring some of them to the show. You never know. But uh, let's get back to... The American Revolution, as Dave breaks it down in a way nobody else will ever do it for you. Dave, we had the uh, mess on Lexington Green. We've got a scattered American militia, and now we've got the Brits reorganizing, and they have a mission to do that they're running late on. They are running real late, and they are headed to Concord. And by the time they get to Concord, which is only about eight or ten miles on, the 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 countryside is just electric militiamen are coming from tens of miles away. The Americans are gathering, and they are gathering in strength. And when they, when the British get to Concord, they find the Americans on the road there, blocking the road, and there's a standoff. Now, we think of this battle of, you know, they, they're going to stand in lines and shoot at each other, but it doesn't happen here. In fact, the Americans kind of give way. They back up across the river there, across the creek, and up to a defensible hillside. And they just watch what the British are doing. The British manage to find the cannons that are stored in Concord. They're actually buried outside a tavern. They intimidate the tavern owner into sh- showing him where they are. They dig them up. They burn the, the caissons, and they you know, set everything on fire and spike the cannons. And they feel like they've accomplished their mission. So now we're going to turn around and go back. But 
it's at this point that the Americans decide, no, dude, we've had enough. And they come barreling off that hill and into the British ranks, and it turns into a free-for-all. And the British give as well as they get at first. Of course, these are very highly cracked troops. They're very highly trained. But both of their leaders are eventually hit and downed. Ooh. Not killed, but they are wounded. And this causes the British ranks to kind of waver a bit. Some of them start chasing Americans and some of them start running away. And eventually, and, and there are volumes about this battle that you can read, but eventually what ends up happening is the route begins and the British start running back to Boston. Now, at first, it's kind of an organized retreat, but as more and more Americans gather, the 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 death and destruction that's being rained down on these British troops is kind of like, why are they doing this to us? I mean, we're just doing our job. We're not, you know, we're not mad. We're not, we're just trying to help. <laughs> they reach a corner, Rod. There's a road where the, where the road bends. And waiting in the woods alongside that corner is the Lexington militia with John Parker. They've reorganized, and in what will become known as Parker's Revenge, they... They take a lot of blood from the British in that corner. And it's at that point that the British just start running back to Boston with the with the Americans chasing them. By the time they get back to Boston, the Americans will blockade Boston. They will permanently blockade Boston. So Boston is under the control of the Brits and has been. And the Americans are going to say, OK, you're going to stay in Boston. Exactly. And so this is where we start fortifying the hill, Bunker Hill and the, the neck across there. And we basically trap the British troops in Thomas Gage in Boston. And that's where they will stay and rot until they evacuate Boston sometime later. This is, um, like I said, April 19th is where the revolution ends. The blockade of Boston begins and the war at this point, we're still a year away plus from declaring independence. So right now it's just a civil war. But it has had its effect. Captain Parker, as I said, he will die a little less than five months later of the consumption and be memorialized in painting and statues. Captain Isaac, that guy I told you about, he will go on to serve in the Continental Army and serve well, reaching the rank of captain. He will have a son by the name of John, who will have a son by the name of George. His brother, Ebenezer, goes to law school, becomes a very well-known lawyer. He also has a son named George, and there's a lot of confusion because these sons named George seem to stay with their uncles a lot. So they get mixed up, and it's it's not really clear who's who. But eventually, Ebenezer, his son George, has a son named John, who has a son named Alonzo, who has a son named uh, Wilbur, who has a son named Don, who has a son named Dave. Bowman. Wow. <laughs> this is what I talk about when I talk about American history. It's it's us. It's it's normal people. None of these guys go on to become famous or scientists or anything like that. But they listened to what was happening from 1763 on. And it's John Adams who will say later on in the 1800s, the American Revolutionary War, question mark, that was no part of the revolution at all. It was only an effect and a consequence of it. 
the revolution, the American Revolution. Welcome to In a Handbasket, where the Frito Bandito leads the politically incorrect posse into America's culture wars. Now, with today's In a Handbasket, here's Bill Mick. Gatto's Tired Auto Service bringing you hour number one in a handbasket this morning. Taking us to the perfect excuse. You want in here, it's 321-768-1240. Reminder for you, second day of our Grand In Your Hand contest. Again, from 9 a.m. through the 5 p.m. hour. So from Glenn Beck through Clay and Buck into Sean Hannity until he's concluded, you get a chance every hour to win $1,000. You'll enter that keyword on our website at WMMBAM.com. There is a uh, portal there for you to enter that word each hour when you hear it at 5 after the hour. Good luck. I do want to see you win those big bucks. Like thousand bucks can always come in handy, right? Find something to do with that. Anyway, let's. Uh, I don't think incoming Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson news that she was providing us the perfect excuse for any time we don't want to engage on a topic. But she has. And it's proven out in this Brianna Lyman story from the Daily Caller. As after the judge's ruling that we'll talk about coming up in our next segment and a little bit beyond, that mask mandates on airlines are a no-no, that they were actually illegally done, and that they are not to be enforced nationwide. And with the capitulation, grudgingly so, of the White House, maybe the airline unions and or the flight attendant unions and, and some of the airlines, and apparently, reluctantly, Jacksonville Airport hadn't made a decision yet. They're waiting for the TSA to tell them what to do, because apparently there are no decision makers in that power structure. Nonetheless, this excuse, anytime you don't want to engage or be held accountable for something that obviously you're there to talk about, it, obviously the government has been pushing for, what, two years, these mask mandates, well, maybe a year, year and a half. What happened, according to the Daily Caller report, is that the press secretary, Jen Psaki, and the senior White House correspondent for Fox News, Peter Ducey, got into it again Monday. And that's not an unusual thing. These two go at each other all the time. Ducey was questioning Psaki on the science behind a mask mandate on an airplane, but not in the White House briefing room. He said, why is it that we can sit here in the White House briefing room with no masks, but people can't sit in an airplane cabin with no masks? And maybe not knowing she was doing it, Saki evoked incoming Supreme Court Justice Kentaji Brown-Jackson when she said, I'm not a doctor. Sounds a whole lot like I'm not a biologist. Just the perfect excuse if you ever want to get out of engaging in anything. Well, I'm not a pick the profession that deals with the topic at hand. I'm not a... Of course, there are the rest of us who will go, you know, I'm not a doctor, but let me give you my, how many, how much of that did we have through the coronavirus? I'm not a doctor, but here, take, take this horse paste because you can't get the human version because they won't dispense it to you, but you can make up your own, 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 uh, dosing and, and, and you'll be okay. How much of that did we hear? I heard it for months on end with a group of friends of mine. 
we had a couple of self-appointed doctors through their internet medical degrees that were really extolling the virtues of anything but what the government was throwing out there. Not that they were wrong. It's just that, man, it was incessant, and it was all that was discussed for the longest period of time. And it's like, are you kidding me? Really? Can we not talk about this? <laughs> I'm not a doctor. But let me tell you. No, Saki went the other way. I'm not a doctor. I can't, I can't comment on that. And, oh, she, by the way, she reminded Ducey that he's not a doctor either. She went on to say this. These determinations with the masking guidance is green, yellow, and red. What are they? Terror warnings? We're currently, which we were terrorized by the government, most certainly through that. We are currently in a green zone in Washington, D.C. Didn't they have one of those in Baghdad, too? And pretty sure that wasn't really effective. Um, so they're not recommending it, not recommending masks in a green zone. Some people can say, and again, she's pushing all this back at the TSA, which operates at the direction of the administration that she's representing in the press conference. Don't forget that. Some people can still wear a mask if they want to. People do, or wear them in meetings, or wear them at certain times when you're going to be around or sitting close to people, or maybe you have an immunocompromised parent or friend, so you can make that decision. You know what, Jen? We could make the decision all along. But you took that out of our hands. And you put these rules in play that said, thou shalt do this, or not, not only can you not fly, you can't walk on the grounds of the airport and begin to deal with airport personnel until you had the face diaper on. Saki kept pointing back to these tiered responses. I didn't know we had green, yellow, red as far as that goes. I know some states were doing color coding. West Virginia did color coding for its counties. And depending on what color the county was, based on the number of cases and whatever other criteria they had, would determine what their businesses could and couldn't do. So the case numbers determined, in a region, determined how free your region was. She pointed to the tiered level of responses set out by the CDC, said the administration would have hoped for a two-week extension of the policy to look at data on case counts. Well, they had just done that. Remember, we had the two-week extension. It was going till May whatever. And now it's gone. That's a good thing. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazell. She's a federal district judge in Florida's Middle District. Ruled yesterday, the CDC mask mandate exceeds its statutory authority under the Administrative Procedure Act, which is what they use to put it in play. By the way, you want to be glad for Donald Trump's presidency? Catherine Kimball Mazell is a Trump appointee. And she ruled that that order violated procedures required for agency rulemaking under the APA and sent the mandate order back to the CDC. It is done. Now, this was not the lawsuit that 21 states had filed to try to end the mandate. This was filed by some individuals. And the judge, partly in her ruling, saying, you know what? It's impractical to apply this to only the people who were involved in this particular action. 
it has to be applied nationwide. And she did that. And we'll, we'll be able to talk about that. So you want to get in here, we let you do that at 321-768-1240. We'll get to those calls momentarily as this hour of the program is being brought to you by Gatto's Tire and Auto Service. I've come to trust Gatto's through the years. They are where I go to for everything I need vehicle-related, whether it's maintenance, repairs, Tires, most certainly, I go to Gatto's. Why? Well, they've earned my trust through the years. And they've earned a lot of people's trust over the more than 50 years they've been in business here in Brevard. It's a local family-owned business, three generations of the Gatto family bringing this service to our community. And at their cocoa store, any size RV or commercial truck, they can uh, do your alignments at that cocoa location with $15 off on alignments right now. Giving you $10 off on air conditioning checks. Those are going to be important and up to $150 rebates set of Goodyear tires. So for me, for you, you got to go to Gatto's, and I appreciate them bringing you this hour of our program. Let's get to the phone, see what's on your mind. Good morning. You're going to start us on a Tuesday on Bill McLive. What do you think here? Hey, hey, Bill. This is Steve. Anyway, but this, 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 I think she did the Biden administration a favor. How so? Because the, she didn't overturn the whole procedure. See, we haven't had Congress do a damn thing on this whole whole virus thing, which limits the amount that that the executive branch can just willy me. Well, I just don't like it today. I'll put masks on kids. Yeah, that's a good idea because it's got to be it's got to be pure than them breathing in the the air, the fresh air. So I, I think I'll keep that on. And, and see, we haven't done anything to stop it from happening. At whim, let's say an election comes up in November, and suddenly we're we're back in mask and 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 mail in ballots and all this other garbage. Well, what she did, Steve, what this is doing is saying you didn't follow the right procedure to put the rule in play. Therefore, you it it's not in effect, and you can't do it. She's basically saying follow the procedure, or we're going to knock this down every time. Now, when you when you talk about did him a favor because she didn't wreck the process. Do you mean that the process of Congress handing administrative agencies the ability to make law by writing rules? Yes. I agree that that's, that's a problem. No. We're, we're on the same page there. I don't think it's in the scope of her authority to do that right now. I don't think it was an issue in front of the court, but I'd like to see somebody take that on, and I'd like to see members of Congress stand up and do their job instead of handing it off to somebody else. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is they actually did them a favor because she did away with it, and it's not their fault. It's this bad judge that we had here, even though they don't fight to fight to get it back. Because well, they, they may they appeal it. They didn't announce an appeal yesterday. They could end up appealing it, though. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out today. Steve, thank you. It's a good start to a Tuesday morning. As we continue, we'll talk about this, what the judge has done and what she said, and we'll take your thoughts along the way. Here's Bill Mick with today's Mick Nugget. Incoming Supreme Court Justice Kentaji Brown Jackson has unwittingly given us the perfect excuse for anything. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki proved it yesterday when replying to Fox's Peter Ducey about masks on airplanes. I'm not a doctor, was the dodging reply. She also reminded Ducey he's not a doctor either. Brown had no clue she was providing us all the perfect excuse if we don't want to engage when she said, I'm not a biologist. So from now on, if you don't want to find yourself in a discussion, your excuse is ready made. I'm not a fill in the blank. 
We should be able to expect more from the president's administration, but at least for now, we can't. After all, they're not. Pick one. They're all fitting. Bill Mick Live. Common Sense, Uncommon Radio. Mornings on WMMV.